We are going to look at the book of Galatians this morning. Galatians chapter 5 will, is where we will begin our reading. Galatians 5.16. And we're going to conclude in chapter 6, verse 10. And we'll be focusing our attention on Galatians 6.9. Uh, it was a sermon that was preached at Grace not long ago. Uh, in light of everything that is going on around us. And uh, I think you'll, hopefully you will see how fitting it is, uh, if you're anything like me, uh, in uh, responding to uh, the, the whirl of, of what is going on. Galatians 6, 9, I'll read it first, and then we're going to go back and read in context. But the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Spirit, says to us, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. But I want to read that in context, and so let's look back, Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season... We will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. That is the word of our God. As I mentioned, we are going to be focusing our attention this morning on Galatians 6-9. A number of people uh, I have talked to... um, from various different uh, 
walks of life when we discuss this, this particular passage. And uh, in light of all that is going on around us, you know, the idea is let's get a t-shirt and kind of make this uh, a reminder to us not to grow weary in doing good. Um, it is a reality um, that Paul here is speaking to that is true of the Christian life. It's not just because of what is going on. Of course, this is just another example of the reason why God has written this for us. Again, if we ask a very simple question at the beginning of looking at God's word together this morning, why do you think Paul, and and of course under the inspiration of the Spirit, why do you think Paul commands us not to grow weary in doing good? And the simple answer, we'll get into some of the theological glories as we go this morning, but this very simple, the most simplest of answers as to why Paul writes this. He commands us not to grow weary in doing good. The simple answer is because we often get tired of doing good. It is something that we know in terms of the Christian life. It is, it is hard to continue to do those things that we are supposed to do, those things that we know that is right and good, and we just, we grow weary. And again, as we think on whatever, this is not, I'm intentionally not going down a particular road here, so please, if your mind has just done that, don't. When we're thinking of COVID, when we're thinking of restrictions, it doesn't matter what our position is. There are implications to what is going on around us where we have set before us those things that we know ought to be done. You know, as, as, a, as an implication of, of the lockdowns and such, and we have all kinds of, you know, the schools are closed down in some circumstances, and kids are back at home, and, and you know, uh, tensions run high, and all of those kind of things. The, 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 the interaction, the, the realities of, of what goes on, uh, the consequences of what goes on, we just get tired, right? We might have be someone who deals with a chronic sickness or chronic pain or chronic difficulties. We might have a chronic difficulties in relationships that go on and on and on and on. And we know what the right thing to do is. We know we need to be patient. We know we need to be forgiving. We know we need not to be short with people. We know, we know these things. And yet, we grow tired. We grow weary. It's so easy to, 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 to bite and to snap. It's so easy to lose our temper. It is so easy to become frustrated. It is so easy, right? And so whatever it is that we're thinking about, here the Apostle Paul is encouraging us to not grow weary. He is, he is giving us an encouragement in terms of just staying the course, doing those things that we know God requires us to do. This is a passage that speaks to us not primarily the particulars of the things that we are supposed to do in whatever given situation. We have the entirety of the Word of God for that. We look at the entirety of the Word of God and we know what God requires in a certain circumstance. This is not a verse that is going to spell out those particulars. We are assuming that God has spoken to us in his Word pertaining to every area of life. There isn't an area of life that he has not spoken to us about. This passage is assuming that we understand and we know that God has revealed to us the particulars in his word. This is a passage that speaks to us of not growing weary in doing those things that God has required us to do. 
those things that are set before us day after day, circumstance after circumstance that we are required to do by the Lord. Paul says to us, do not grow weary in doing that which is good. Now, as we think of this verse, Paul is not just giving us a pep talk. He's not just kind of coming up to us and giving us a shot in the shoulder saying to us, you know what, just keep on keeping on. This is not what the Apostle Paul is doing. As we look at this verse in the context in which it comes to us, he is taking us to the very heart of our motivation. He is taking us to the very essence of our encouragement to actually do, to continue to do that which is good. And he is taking us to God himself in our Lord Jesus Christ. If Paul is encouraging us in anything in this, he takes us to the very essence of what it is to do good. And so as we look at this theme, it's going to be a very simple structure this morning. As we look at this theme of not growing weary and doing good, we want to start, in fact we must, I would argue, start with a definition of good. Uh, If we are encouraged here, if Paul is saying to us, do not grow weary of doing good, we have to understand what good is. And here I'm not talking about the particulars. Here I'm talking about goodness itself. If we do not understand what it is to be good, then we cannot understand this, this, uh, this command, this encouragement to not grow weary in doing good. And so we must start with definitions. We have to know what it is to do good. And then, of course, the second half of this verse is going to speak to us of the harvest of that good. As we look at the definition and then we look at the harvest, I hope you will see, I pray that you will see, that there is where we start to find the encouragement and the motivation to do those things that we are called to do even when we don't feel like it. And so let's start with the definition of good. As I said, if we don't begin correctly when we speak of the good, and, and let's, let's not, I mean, what is going on here? What Paul is talking about here in Galatians about doing good? He's talking about good works. I mean, if we're going to talk about this theologically, we talk about good works Our confessional standards lay them out very clearly, lay lay the doctrine of good works out. We are talking about good works, doing good, doing that which is good and right. If we don't begin correctly when we speak of good works and their place and how they function in the Christian life, we will end up in one of two ditches, basically. We'll, We'll either fall into the ditch of mere moralism, and that would be the person who, when you're thinking of of good works, as you're thinking about the particulars, as you're thinking about what God requires, it is simply looked at like a a checklist. And and you, you approach the Christian life as this is what I'm supposed to do, and you just check off boxes. Right? And, and there's, it's so easy for us to get into this mindset of this is what we are supposed to do or this is what we're not supposed to do, and it becomes nothing more than a cold, calculated list of things. Right? Betrayed in someone who would come up and simply say, you know what, just tell me what to do. Help me to check the box. Right? You're going to end up in mere moralism if we don't define this properly. On the other side of the road, if we're not careful... We are going to fall into the, the, the ditch of selfish indulgence where people begin to simply define good works or the good 
as doing that which makes you feel good. Uh, prominent in many circles in our culture and our churches. Um, doing that which is good is that which makes you feel good. Right? And that's nothing more than indulging selfish heart. And so you're either going to be on moralism, mere moralism on the one side, or you're going to be in, in selfish indulgence on the other. In either one of those, there is absolutely zero motivation or encouragement. There is nothing in those, the understanding of that which is going to help us do that which we are supposed to do before the Lord. There is no motivation and encouragement to just keep, to keep repeating, do the right thing, do the right thing, check the right box, check the right box, check the right box, or in keeping to tell somebody, just do what makes you feel good. Because that's going to end in despair. There is no motivation. There is no encouragement in that. And so we have to start correctly. We have to start the proper understanding of what Paul is meaning when he says, don't grow weary in doing good. There's an account in the the life of the Lord Jesus that really takes us to the center of this very question. If you recall in Matthew chapter 19, when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says to him, You know, teacher, what good deeds must I do to have eternal life? And so as we just think about that question, right? You think about that that young man coming to Jesus, and he's asking the question, what must I do to have eternal life? He's clearly he's thinking of checkboxes. You know, what am I supposed to do? Just tell me where I'm supposed to check the boxes to get what I want, eternal life. So clearly he's coming at this with a very faulty view of what it is to do good. And interestingly, at the heart of how Jesus responds, and he responds masterfully, it's one of those things, you know, as you watch Jesus, as you listen to Jesus respond to things, he's an absolute master at dealing with the human heart. Of course he is. But he comes and he he assesses instantly this circumstance where he has this rich young ruler come and he says, what must I do? And you'd think that Jesus might give him a lengthy discourse, right? But instead, if you remember what, how Jesus responds to that young man, he, doesn't, he takes him completely outside of the perspective of the box. Right? Stop thinking about checking off boxes. What he says to that young man is, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good, and he is God, right? Jesus takes the rich young ruler away from the list of do's and don'ts, and he actually focuses his attention on the very essence of the definition of that which is good. He takes him to God himself. Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good, See, Jesus takes him to the very essence of goodness itself. That reality in which is goodness and outside of which nothing good can be found, and it is God. When we are speaking of good, when we are speaking of that which is good, as we are speaking about a good deed, when we are speaking about a good thing, when we are speaking about anything connected to the concept of goodness, We must have that associated with God himself. We may never disconnect our concept of good or a good deed 
or a good action or a good work from God himself. To do that which is truly good is to walk with the Lord according to his character. It is an understanding of those things that we are called to do that flow from God himself, his very character. It is to do that which is good as we walk with the Lord, who is good, according to his character. It's not doing what you makes you feel good, nor is it thinking about this nebulous, disconnected box of do's and don'ts. It takes us right to God, and to do that which is good means to walk with him according to who he is. Now, as soon as we begin to think about things properly here, as soon as we begin to, con- to, to understand the concept and the implications of what it is to do good, to walk with the Lord according to who he is, we immediately understand that we have a problem. On our own, it is impossible for us to do this. It is absolutely and utterly impossible for us as human beings to do that, to do that which is truly good, to walk with the Lord according to his character in and of ourselves. Now, we might, of course, keep a few external rules. It is possible for us to check the boxes. We can help somebody cross the street. We can pull over and help them fix a flat tire. We can give to, to good and noble charitable organizations. We can gather for worship. We can, we can check the boxes. That is true. We can externally fill those, you know, to an extent. We can, we can check those realities. But on our own, in our own nature, we cannot do that which is truly good. We will not walk with the Lord in the light of who he is. Now, as we think about that, there are three essential realities. It's all part of this definition part. There are three essential realities that needs to be true of us if we are to do good. Right? If, if all of this is true up until this particular point, there are three things that have to be true of us if we are even to begin to do that which is good. And it is in these three things, as I lay them out for you, it is in these three things that we really begin to see the encouragement and the motivation of what the Apostle Paul is talking to us about when he says, don't grow weary in doing good. Three key realities. The first and most obvious, the, the, the pinnacle, the primary, without which nothing will happen, is faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We must come first and foremost to the Lord Jesus Christ. We must come to God in faith. We are sinners. We are fallen. There is no way... To do good, to do truly good, to walk with the Lord according to his character. There is absolutely no way for us to do that outside of saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 10 is ever so clear to us. Paul says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. There is saving faith. There is saving union with Jesus Christ. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. If we are going to have good works attached to us, if we are going to do that which is truly good, if we are going to walk with the Lord according to his character, 
It must be in Christ Jesus, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, again, as we, we just simply stop for a minute and we think about the motivation here and the encouragement here, you come across whatever that is, right? Whether it's, it's suffering with chronic pain or, or sickness or whether it is the fact that you've got all your kids home again for an extended period and you're having trouble dealing with them or whatever it might be where you know that the things that you are supposed to do. We are supposed to be gentle. We are supposed to be patient. We are supposed to be kind. We are supposed to be all of these things. They are fruits of the Spirit. I struggle with these things. I don't do these things that the Lord requires of me. Where do we begin? Where does our motivation come? Where does our encouragement come? It comes as we look afresh to Jesus Christ. That is the beginning of the process every time. When we are weary, when we are tired, when we are at the end of our rope, when we say we can't handle this anymore, I'm done with this, I'm frustrated with this, we look afresh to Jesus Christ. It takes our eyes off of ourself, it takes it outside of selfishness, and it sets us on our precious, sets them on our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. We look to Him. In faith. And we do so afresh. Right? There is, is absolutely, it does us no good to wake up in the morning and say, listen, I'm going to try harder today. I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps today. It is to come to the Lord Jesus Christ afresh and to look to him and say, I am weak, I am frail, I am sinful, I am frustrated. Forgive me. It is to come to God in faith. Secondly, it is to come in love. And these are in order on purpose. Right? We first and foremost must come to the Lord in faith. But we come then in love. When we come to God in faith, as we look to the Lord Jesus Christ, as we are washed afresh in his blood, all of a sudden, whether for the first time or for the thousandth time, all of a sudden, our whole mindset changes. And we are actually enabled to love God. We start to look at God's word differently. We start to look at obedience differently. We want to obey not because we have to, but because we want to. But as we shift focus, we want to walk with the Lord according to his character. It's our desire as we look to the Lord Jesus Christ. We obey out of love, not out of compulsion. We are reminded of the great reality. We sang of it earlier on in the service. That we are friends of the Lord, not slaves. John 15, verses 13 to 16. The Lord so gloriously reminds us, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants for the servants do not, do not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. We are actually enabled to love God. We are able to walk with him in love. It is no accident as we kind of pull our theology together. We hear this all the time. It is no accident as we again think of of. Jesus' masterful responses to questions, especially ones that are trying to trip him up. 
You get the, the, the lawyers coming to Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, and they ask him the question, you know, which is the greatest of the commandments? Again, think checkbox, right? Here's the checkbox of lists. What's the greatest one? Which is the top of the list? Which one can I put the, 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 the gold star beside? What is the greatest of the commandments? Now, you know as well as I do how the Lord masterfully answers that question. First and foremost, before he goes anywhere else, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. This is the first and great summary of all of the law and all of the prophets, everything that God has said, all of the particulars that he has required in terms of duty, right and wrong, It is love. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. As we come to him in faith, as we look to the Lord Jesus Christ, we are actually able to walk with God. Everything changes. We are taken outside of our circumstances. If I had to do this uh, from the person who is always... Going against me. You know, always he's kind of, or she is, is, is the one who is my nemesis. And I know I have to be gentle, and I know I have to be kind, and I know I have to, and I know, and I know, and I know. If our focus is there, it is so easy to blow a gasket. But as we set our eyes afresh on the Lord Jesus Christ, and as we begin to think about that which we are called to do, in light of love for God, I do this first and foremost Because I love God. And as I love God, then I can begin to love my neighbor. We look to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do that which we are called to do primarily out of love for God. And then thirdly, we have the concept of worship. Now, technically, we we call this to the right end. That end is the glory of God, and I summarize that in the term of worship. And so we come in faith. As we think about it, we come then in love to God himself, and then we come in worship. As we walk in faith and love, as we walk with the Lord, according to his character, we realize that we live quorum Deo. We live before the face of God. Every moment, every decision, every action, every reaction, We live Coram Deo. Our works become worship. Our works become thank offerings to God. That we are actually enabled in the Lord Jesus Christ to do what we are supposed to do. Our obedience actually becomes offerings to God. We obey because we want to honor the Lord. It puts the decision, as we will see, in a completely different light. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6.1, and there, the Sermon on the Mount, this verse summarizes a point that he is really making uh, beyond just this verse, but it's a wonderful summary verse, Matthew 6.1. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. There's a perspective issue. Practicing your righteousness, doing that which you are supposed to do. Are you doing that 
Or are we doing that in front of men, to be seen by men? To have the boxes checked so that people can see that we're checking the boxes. Jesus is clear, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven, because we live Coram Deo. Are we doing it for man's glory? Are we doing it because it feels good or right, or not doing it because it feels good or right? Or are we doing these things, Coram Deo, before the face of God, because we want to honor the Lord, because we love God and want to worship him? What we see developing here, faith, love, and worship, is a radical God-centeredness to faith and life. We look to our God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we say, I will obey because I love you, God. And because I want to walk with you, and I want to walk according to your character. I want to be conformed to your character. I want to walk in you. And I want to bring all honor, and I want to bring all glory, and I want to bring all worship to you. And so... I will obey. This perspective is so vital, especially when we begin to grow weary of doing good. When we are at our wit's end, when we are tired, when we are frustrated, Paul has just reminded us that we have two choices as we live our lives. 6 verse 8, For the one who who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. We can can sow to our own flesh. We can be selfish. And every time that we do something out of a selfish motive, this is true. It It is God's word. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. You get the ugly list of Galatians chapter 5. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. That's what you get. When we are sowing to self, we will reap corruption. There is fruit that is born. On the other hand, Paul reminds us in verse 8, but the one who sows to the Spirit, the one who sows corondeo, the one who sows as we were talking about, will reap eternal life. It is a God focus as we walk with the Spirit. Whenever we seek to do good with our selfish hearts at the center of the process, our resolve, our convictions, our principles will change like shifting shadows. We will do this or that as long as it is convenient for us, as long as it fits our schedule, as long as it satisfies our desires, as long as, as long as, as long as we will do this. As soon as things change, so does our convictions and practices. Not so when we come to God in Jesus Christ. James tells us in chapter 1, verse 17, that there is no variation in our Heavenly Father. He does not change like shifting shadows. His character doesn't change. His word doesn't change. His truth doesn't change. His precepts don't change. He is a rock. He is our anchor. Nothing changes. When we look to our God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
because it is in Christ Jesus that we are given the ability to walk with God according to his holy character. But we are reminded, which is why we have this encouragement, that though in Christ Jesus we have the ability, we also have the ability to choose self. It is a reality. We come to a crossroads. Whatever it is that you're thinking about, right, at at the point in time where you say, I know what I'm supposed to do, I don't feel like it, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I am sick of all of this or that or the other thing. As you think about that crossroads where you're making a decision, the key here is to have us understand what that decision truly is. Here is the great motivation. Here is the great encouragement, I think, as you think about these things. If we focus on the situation, if we think about the person who is bothering us, if we think about our our chronic pain or our condition or whatever it might be, whatever it is that we're thinking about, if we focus our attention there, then we say, I'm going to make a different decision because for the short term it is going to make me feel better. But if we understand the decision as we ought to, de- to understand that decision, we are not making a decision in the short term. We are actually making a decision each and every time we do that as to whether or not we want to walk with the, continue to walk with the Lord according to his character or whether we want to walk away from the Lord. That's the decision. Am I going to walk with the Lord keeping in step with the Spirit, or am I going to walk contrary to the Lord, against who He is? Now, of course, as soon as we put it into that light, would we all not make a different decision? Of course I want to continue to walk with the Lord. Of course I do. Of course I don't want to walk against the Lord, away from the Lord. I want to keep in step with the Spirit. I don't want to grieve the Spirit. Paul says to us, especially when we are weary, when we are tired, when we are frustrated, when we are prone to be selfish, Paul says to us, do not grow weary in doing good. That which is truly good. Do not grow weary in walking with the Lord according to his character. Don't grow weary in those things. Then we come, and I'll do this very briefly, we come to the harvest. It all fits together. We come to the harvest of doing good. Paul then, as he's encouraged us, don't grow weary in doing good, but he says there, the second half, for in due season you will reap if you do not give up. Not only are we encouraged to do good when we are focused or refocus our attention on God in the the Lord Jesus, on his glory, on his honor in the here and now, right at the crossroads. That's the first part of that verse. Don't grow weary in the here and now in doing good. Continue to walk with the Lord step after step, month after month, year after year. Walk with him according to his character. But Paul also gets us to take a step back and look at the big picture of our lives and decisions. Not just 
the, the decisions where we're making them in the now. But he says, take a, take a step back and look at the road that you're on. Look at the road that God has put you on. For in due season, you will reap if you do not give up. Now, he has just told us, he's just talked to us about reaping eternal life. In verse 8, here Paul takes us, as it were, to the end of the road of faith. As we walk with God in the decisions, as we choose by God's grace to walk with him according to his character, decision after decision, decision after decision, as we do that, Paul says, don't forget where the end of that road leads. That point in time when our faith will become sight. He takes us to the end of the road that was full of trials and temptations, full of the struggles associated with all of those decisions in life, where we had to choose to walk by faith, sowing to the Spirit, or we chose to walk by sight, sowing to the flesh, our victories in God's grace, our failures, as sometimes our flesh gets the upper hand, the difficulty of that road. Times when we know the conscious blessings of walking with the Lord, and those times when we know in our head that he hasn't abandoned us, but he does not seem to be there. This road of faith and love and worship can be exhausting. Here Paul, in an ultimate sense, reminds us of our goal. It is eternal life, the uninterrupted, perfect, and perpetual walk with the Lord that we will experience in heaven. It is our hope. It is the end to which we have been called No more struggles, no more highs and lows in our faith. Our love will be made perfect. Our worship will be absolutely unhindered. There will be no difficulties of coronavirus, COVID, anything. Gone. We are not walking aimlessly. We are not running in vain. Every day that we engage in the battle of faith, we are one day closer. Every decision, we are one step closer to the finish line where our faith will become sight. Paul is reminding us, as he tells us, not to grow weary in doing good, to keep your eyes on the prize. Don't look to the left and to the right. Don't get sidetracked. Philippians 3.12, a personal uh, statement by Paul himself. Right here we, we, we begin looking at the, 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 nu- the nugget of, of what he's encouraging us, but this is what Paul experienced. Philippians 3.12, not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own brothers. I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul knew difficulties. Paul knew trials. Paul knew persecution. Paul knew terrible governments. Paul knew all of those things. Philippians is a prison epistle. Forgetting what lies behind, setting my eyes on what is ahead. I strain, I strive for that reality. Brothers and sisters, let us focus our eyes of faith afresh on Jesus 
Christ. And out of love for our God and a desire that his name alone be praised, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Let us pray. O Lord, our great and glorious God in heaven, who can comprehend the great gift that you have given to us in Jesus Christ. We confess to you that we have only begun to scratch the surface of that which is ours in Christ Jesus. We do pray that you would help us to not grow weary in doing good, to not grow weary in walking with you according to your glorious and holy character. That we would come to know obedience not as something that simply gets a box checked or something that makes us feel good, but that we would come to understand more and more our obedience as an outworking of our walk with you. Help us. We are weak and frail. We do grow weary. And so we pray that you would encourage us in the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, that we together would grow in the grace and knowledge of our precious Savior. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.